See, how many of you ever done anything stupid? Raise your hand. Okay, look around. Anybody's hand not up? Just look around right now. Look at those people. They are faultless, sinless. They never do anything stupid. Did you get, did you get them in their mind? All right. So yesterday, I don't know if you know this, but I wear one contact in my left eye. And I don't need it in the other eye. That eye's fine. Uh, I don't walk in circles just because that one's working me better. But, but anyway, I just got one contact. And so I had this contact in because I was sitting outside a little bit, you know, did a little dip in the pool. And I was reading, studying, kind of preparing myself a bit. And then I went in. And, and I don't like to really study or get on the computer with my contact. So I went to take my contact out and I couldn't get it out. And it was stuck. It was stuck. And I'm thinking, I'm going to have like um, some surgery here that's going to have to take my eyeball out, take the con, I'm, and I can't get it out, and I'm fighting it. I'm beating my eye up. My eye is red. It looks like I've been punched. I'm pulling out. Finally, I fight. I fight with it all night long. I go on, the, on my computer. How do you get a stuck contact off your eye? And all I can imagine is some, something has to scrape it off. You know, it's like a horrible experience to think about what I'm going to have to face with this deal. And finally, I just get so tired. My eye is so sore. I just say, I'm going to bed. Forget it. I'm done with you. You know what? You're going to be there in the morning. I know because I can't get you out in the daytime. So I go to bed and, and uh, I don't know, early this morning, I had this crazy thought. I wonder if I put it in my right eye instead of my left eye, because it'll work either way. I'm laying in bed, I reach into my right eye, there it is, I'm so mad, I just throw it on the floor, I'm done with you. It's stupid. Just stupid, I don't know, you know, if your eye offends you, what, pluck it out or something like that, right? But I'm sitting there thinking about it from the spiritual standpoint, how many times do you see things with the wrong eye? Your vision is obscured somehow because you did something, you looked, you, it wasn't intentional. We're not talking about sin here. We're just talking about you didn't look at things the right way. And God will let you keep the wrong contact in for a long time until you come to some point of wisdom and understanding about how the kingdom of God really, really works. Let me give you a couple of ideas. We're talking about the blessed life here, and we're, we're in part seven now, if you're keeping track. But here's the thing. The proof of your faith, the proof of your faith is revealed in your pursuit of the unseen. See, as long as you pursue that which you can see, that which you understand, that which logically, reasonably, rationally makes sense, you're going to miss out on a big component of what God is up to. You're going to miss out on this dimension of the supernatural and the spiritual that God wants to pour into you and teach you in life. Secondly, you're going to find this. You have to let the kingdom of God, you have to let the kingdom of God be your new normal. What really is normal for you? Normal for you is going through life, paying bills, going through to work, doing this, doing that, and maybe normal for you is not saying, wait a minute, what is God doing in the middle of my world? How is God speaking in the middle of my world? How can God enter into what I'm doing? How can God give me direction to what I'm doing? And then also, 
The pace of revelation, that is God speaking to you, the pace of revelation, I believe, will increase, will accelerate as we draw closer to the end of the age. You see, there's no doubt there's a lot of stuff going on in our world right now that points to away from God, away from the Bible, away from truth, but at the same time, do you think God is going to leave you unprepared? What God does is he increases the pace of revelation as the problems increase in society. Your capacity will actually increase in difficult times. Your insight is going to go up the scale during tough times. You're going to see things you haven't seen before. In the book of 1 Corinthians, let me take you there to chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to look at uh, a number of verses here as we begin in verse 1. But listen to what it says. And I, brethren, came to you. I did not come in excellence of speech. So Paul says, I didn't come trying to impress you with what I had to say. I didn't come to you or in wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Christ and Him crucified. What he wanted us to understand is this, that the very core and the base of everything we say and everything we do has got to be Christ crucified, dead for our sins, risen up in new life. Paul said, I got a lot I could brag about. I got a lot I could tell you about. But really when it all comes down to it, it's Christ crucified. In the last chapter of the book of Galatians, he says, for I bear in my body the marks that I've suffered for Christ. He said, you know, you want to know what my, my, my real credentials are? My credentials are that I serve Jesus Christ. I bear in my body. I've been beaten for that. Paul Bilheimer in his book, Destined for the Throne, wrote these words. He said, legally, Calvary was Satan's complete undoing. Do you believe that? Calvary was Satan's complete undoing. Legally, the cross completely destroyed Satan. All of his claims were canceled. But like any other legal transaction, Calvary's legal victory must be enforced. You have to live it so, you have to act it so, you have to speak it so that I, that Satan is defeated. He doesn't have power over me. I don't have to bow down. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to do any of those kind of things. Now, I drew a map up here of Israel, Egypt, this wilderness area here. Do you remember that? Remember that story in the Bible? Okay, here's Israel, and they're in, the, they're in Egypt, right? And all they're doing all day long is taking mud, straw, making bricks, making the Pharaoh happy. They're slaves. They're slaves, right? Along comes a guy named Moses. Moses says, I've got some good news. We're getting out of town. I'm going to lead you out of this land, and I'm going to lead you into the promised land. Say it with me, promised land. Say it louder, promised land. Okay, everybody, who wants to go to the promised land? All right? Who wants to see the promises of God realized in their life? All of us. Amen? Okay, so you're going to the promised land. They say, what's it like? Oh, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, it's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. So what do they do? They follow the direction of God. They go out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. Okay, so good. Good so far, right? Here comes the Egyptians. They're following after, you know, and the sea closes back in them, kills them all. They're dead. Things are going really well. Then they get out here in the wilderness and they wander around in circles until they finally come into the promised land. Now, let me show you something. 
There were no giants in Egypt. There were no giants like Goliath that they had to face in Egypt. There were no giants in the wilderness. They didn't meet giants until they got into the promised land. You see, when you enter into the promises of God, you're going to face giants. You're not going to face giants back here in Egypt in slavery. You're not going to face giants over here in the wilderness when you're wandering in circles. What the enemy does is he steps up the pace, and when you enter into the promises of God, that's when the giants show up. You see, the enemy wants to take your promises from you. He wants to take the promises of joy, the promise of power, the promise of God's anointing on your life. He wants to rob those and take those from you. So you live, you say, well, I I just, maybe we should just go back to Egypt. Maybe we should just get back in the wilderness. No, God says, no, you're going to face a giant. But guess what? Every time Goliath comes to you, I'm going to give you three stones. I'm going to give you victory. I'm going to make you a conqueror. I'm going to make you an overcomer. Amen? I'm going to make you, you say, well, I haven't been conquering. Then start. I mean, it's pretty simple. I've been losing. Then start winning. I've been defeated. Then rise up. Well, I've been discouraged. Well, stop it. Let me ask you, how many of you ever were discouraged and it felt good? Anybody? No, here's what the Bible says. Have no anxiety about anything. Nothing? I mean, I can't worry about anything? Well, you can, but it won't do any good. Jesus said, did it ever extend your life? Did it ever make you happy, fulfilled, rich, powerful, wise? It never did you any good. But what do we do? We do this self-punishing thing. Well, you know, I just feel bad. How are you doing? Bad. How are things going? Bad. You know, like bad. Really? Well, stop it. Just stop it. You have to tell yourself, I got to stop this because it's not getting me anywhere in my life. Let me take you down a little bit more scripture here, and I'm going to start developing this for you. Verse 3 and through 5. I was with you in weakness and in fear. Paul says, I was with you there. I was weak. I was fearful in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not in persuasive words of human wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith, watch this, should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Your wisdom has to be in the power of God, not in your power, not in the power of man. Now, let me give you a couple of things. I want you to write these down. Here's one of them. Never, never reveal your strategy to the enemy. Doesn't that make sense? If you're in warfare, are you going to call up the enemy and say, hey, we're getting ready to come to the left, come to the right, and we're going to bring our soldiers that way and just be ready for us because we are going to win? Doesn't make any sense. You know what we do sometimes? Sometimes we talk about the strategy we have in victory in our life out loud. The enemy hears it and he goes, "Uh uh-huh, you know, I can take care of that. You gave me plenty of time to prepare. I'm just going to go ahead and get ready for you. Let me tell you this. If you've got a strategy for winning, keep it to yourself. Keep it between you and God. Don't announce it. 
You go ahead and hold it tight and you say, I'm going to hold on to my strategy right now against the enemy and I'm going I'm to begin to play. You say, what if I need to talk to somebody about it? Then put on some praise music. Let the praises of God, because what does it say? God inhabits the praises of his people. Let the praise go on, drive the enemy away, and you talk one-on-one about your strategy. But you have to not reveal your strategy to the enemy. Secondly, you want to focus on your future. Focus on your future. You ever driven a car looking in the rearview mirror? You ever tried backing up in the rearview mirror? Just say, I'm just going to look in the back rearview mirror. And you know, some of you are pretty good at it, right? Try doing it at like 40 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour. How's that going to work for you, right? You're going to be going like this. You're going to be running into stuff. But you know what? We live our lives sometimes looking in a rearview mirror. You know those mirrors that women hold? They got the little thing and they look in the back, see how they look? Guys never use those. They never do. They, it's, I, I think I'm going to look and see how I look from behind. I don't care how I look from behind. If you're looking back there, it's your own problem. It ain't my problem. Right? Well, I need to know. No, I don't need to know. I don't care. Hair's, I don't care if it's combed. I, well, how do I look? I don't. I look in there. I look fat. Take my shirt off. I got a hairy back. I don't want to look back there. It's just not a good thing. See, life is like that. Don't be looking back. Be looking forward. God gave you a giant windscreen, a giant windshield on a car so you can look forward, so you've got more view forward than you do back. Give you this little bitty thing, right? Manufacturers give you a little bitty mirror. Just, I just want you glancing up there. I don't want you driving. I don't want you looking up there all the time, getting focused, getting off, off, all off. How about this one? Expect to win every battle. Amen. Now think about, the, think about how powerful that is. I just expect to win. Well, what if you don't? I expect to win. Then if I fall down, I'm going to get back up. If I get delayed, I'm moving forward. I expect to win. If you carry that with you all the time, you're going to win more than you're going to lose. Let's put it on the other side of the fence. I expect to lose every battle. Well, that doesn't sound good. How about this one? I expect to win half the battles. I don't like that either. Why not expect to win all the battles in life? If you lose one, you lose one. But you're going to expect when you're going in with an expectation that God in you is going to make you powerful to move forward. Also, the bigger the battle, the bigger the victory. You got a big battle? Guess what? The victory is going to be even bigger. Isn't that good news? Right? You got a small battle, you're going to get a small victory. Big battle, big victory. Yeah, but you know, but there's, it's going to be difficult. So? Isn't life difficult? Isn't life challenging for all of us? I mean, pity the child whose parent tells them that life is always going to go well for them. I remember when my, when my sons used to say to me something like this, well, you know, it's really tough. And I said, it's the easiest time in your life. <laughs> right? Am I wrong? You think it's hard going to seventh grade? Wait, I got good news for you. It's going to get tougher my daughter said, I can't wait till she graduated early, a year early from high school. Then she wanted to get out of college early. And I said, stupid, don't do it. Don't do it. That's not smart. No, I'm just done with school. She got out. First year job. She goes, why didn't I listen to you, dad? I told you, you should have stayed in college like nine years. <laughs> I mean, if I was doing it over, I would just, just word of advice. If you're in college, word of advice, stay in as long as you can. Get a graduate degree. Get a couple of PhDs. Stay in there. Just stay in there. It's more fun than real life. Trust me. A lot more fun. Amen? 
All right, so let's go on here. Your past does not define you. It prepares you for the future. A lot of people take their past and go, well, I did, I did. So it was all preparation. God was shaping you. He's getting you ready for the future. Every setback you have, every hurt you had, every problem you had, it was just preparation. God was shaping you, molding you, because God had something for you that was beyond what you could think. Pastor Ron Carpenter put it like this, your friend gives you comfort, but your enemy gives you a future. You know what happens when you, when you face an enemy, all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, I've got to be an overcomer in that one. Friends are for comfort. Oh, give me some comfort. But they don't typically help you with your future. What helps you with your future are your setbacks and your enemies, your difficulties and your challenges in life. Because it's out of those you become better, right? I mean, who really remembers the nicest teacher they ever had helping them really to learn that much? It was always the mean teacher you didn't like that taught you so much, right? I had a teacher, no lie, her name was Miss Hickey. Did you hear what I said? Miss Hickey. You're in eighth grade. You've got a teacher named Miss Hickey. That is, in, that is eternally funny. Seriously, right? Some of you say, what's a hickey? <laughs> Miss Hickey was absolutely relentless. She was mean. She didn't take any gruff. She, with a name like that, she should have got married. Right? Changed her name. But you know what? I learned a lot from her. I didn't like it, but you know what? It taught me something. It got me ready for the next level of life. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, look what it says. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. You see, when you talk about the wisdom of God, the mature in Christ hear it, they listen, and they go forward in it. Rebuke a wise man, he will be wiser still, the Bible says in Proverbs. Rebuke a fool and he will hate you. See, wisdom is for the wise. If you want to learn, you want to grow, you want to move on in maturity, then you have, to be, you have to be listening to what God has to say. Yet not the wisdom of this age, he's not talking about, he says, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. See, all the wise among us, all the, all the rulers of this earthly realm, the Bible says they're coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. That word musterion in the, in the Greek means the hidden counsel of God. God says, I'm going to give you some of my hidden counsel. If you'll listen to it, it's going to propel you in life. If you listen to it, it's going to prepare you for life. If you listen to it, it's going to do something powerful in your life if you just listen to it. The hidden wisdom which God ordained, and that word ordained means decided. God decided, I'm going to give you some wisdom. It's going to prepare you for the future. Before the ages, and notice what it says, for our glory. God says, what I'm doing in you now is one day going to be for your glory. Not talking about the glory of God here, it's talking about your glory, our glory, Right? which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, if you can't see the wisdom of God, then you do things that are against God. When you see the wisdom of God, you begin to act in that way. You know this verse, Jeremiah chapter, chapter 33 and verse 3, call unto me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. That word mighty doesn't mean big. 
It means mysteries, inaccessible things in the natural realm. If you will call on me, I'm going to show you inaccessible things in the spiritual realm, in the natural realm, but now are now accessible in your spiritual realm. You're going to see things you've never seen before. I thought about this verse. It's kind of like a show and tell verse, isn't it? Call on me and I'm going to show you, and then I'm going to tell you. See it? Show, tell. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to tell you something about life. All right. How many of you remember the guy Job? Remember Job? Okay. How many of you feel like Job once in a while? Yeah, not even close. Right? I mean, this dude had it bad, did he not? You know why God brought into Job what God brought into Job? Because God saw an unrealized potential that Job didn't see. You say, what? What? Okay. The last chapter of Job, here's what God does to him. He doubles everything he has. Everything he lost, he doubles it at the end. God says, I want to give you a double blessing, but I can't give you a double blessing because you don't understand your potential. You're satisfied where you are, but if you'll, if you'll, just, if you'll just let me, I'm going to go ahead and do some things in your life. So what happened? God saw the unrealized potential. Job never saw it. Job never saw what was really in him. And so what does God do? He releases the enemy and Satan became the key to Job's future. You see, without Satan, Job would have been content where he was, living on half of what God intended for him to have. Let's make the application. You might be content with a simple, easy life and no problems, and you miss out on all that God wants to do in you. Think about this. Had there not been a Satan, there would not be a book of Job. You never would have heard of Job. The reason you know about Job, the reason you think you're Job, the reason you can point to suffering like Job is because of Satan. But how come we always focus on the negative side of Job and we never focus in on this thing where he says in chapter 42, he said, I heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you and I repent in sackcloth and in ashes. And when he prayed for his friends, it says God restored the fortune to Job and he had double and he lived long life and God blessed him even in his old age. Why don't we read the last chapter? Why do we always read those chapters that are always about, God, poor, I feel like Job. If you feel like Job, you ought to, you ought to feel blessed. Because that means there's something really good coming down the road. That means God's got something in store for you. He doesn't set you back for no reason. He doesn't afflict you for, any, for nothing. He's going to do something in your life that you can't even believe. You see, these mysteries, God, God keeps mysteries for certain people who really have a hunger for him. Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 and 11. Look what it says. The disciples say to Jesus, why do you speak in parables? Why are you telling these stories? He answered and said, because it has been given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. He said, I'm telling you, I'm speaking in mysteries because I want you to get it. I'm going to keep it from your enemy. I'm going to speak things in quiet that's going to give you an advantage in the future. It'll give you an advantage in your business world. It'll give you an advantage in your spiritual world, in your family world. In, your, in whatever you do, it's going to give you an advantage. If you'll let me speak to you in the secret place, I'm going to tell you something you don't even understand. I'm going to teach you great and mighty things that you do not know. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. 
But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared. God prepared some things. You ever had something prepared? Hey, come on over. Everything's prepared. Come to dinner. It's all prepared. You know, it's all ready for you. You don't have to do anything. It's ready. God says, I prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed them to us by his spirit. So how does God reveal? By our spirit, our, his spirit and our spirit. He's teaching us stuff. He's opening our eyes up to stuff, you see? For the spirit of God searches all things, yes, even the deep things of God. Do you know God has some deep things? Deep things. God wants you to understand the deep things. My granddad had a well, had one of those pumps. You know those one-handled pumps? You ever seen those? Maybe you've only seen them on, you know, like, history books or something, right? The first thing you do is you pour water on the top of it and you prime the pump because it'll be dry. You see all that water will just go back down. You've got to create that vacuum. You pour the water on the top of that thing and then you start pumping. And all of a sudden that water starts coming out and that water's coming down deep. The deeper the well, the colder the water. That means it's more refreshing. So you've got to prime the pump. You've got to prime the pump of the Holy Spirit in your life. You see, you've got to pour something down inside of you. Then you've got to start, God, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting. You know what this is? This is expectation. This is faith. When you're pumping that thing, you're going, you know what? I know there's water down there. I'm not giving up till the water comes. And then in an unexpected moment, guess what? It comes out of the spout. You've got a bucket there ready for it. And here comes the water. Fills that up in an instant. You see? And but what you've got to do, you've got to be under the spout when the water comes out. Come on now, that's good. Don't look at me like that. You got to get excited about something. Good grief. All right, you put the bucket in the wrong place, you pump all day long, it's never going to get full. You got to put your bucket, you got to get it right under the spout when the water what? Let's say it together. Yeah, you just, everybody stand up. This is ridiculous. All right, here's what we're going to do. All right? You're going to look at somebody on your row. You're going to say, you got to get under the spout when the water comes out. I'm getting under the spout because I want the water to come out. Amen. All right. You can be seated. All right. Now let's go on. We may have to do that a couple of times to keep you awake, keep you alert, right? All right. Now. Look what it says here. Bill Johnson said this, our hearts know that we are made for much more to life than we perceive with our senses. Don't you deep down inside of you say, I know there's more that God has for me. I know God wants to speak to me in a different way, in a richer way. I don't know how to get that out. But we are spiritually agitated by the lack of connection in the realm of the supernatural. In the end, Nothing satisfies the heart of the Christian like seeing so-called impossibilities bow their knees in the name of Jesus. Anything less than this is abnormal and unfulfilling. We want to see God do the impossible. I got to tell you a story. If I had my phone, I'd read it to you. But um, last week, a couple in our church, Brian 
Marissa were, were driving to church and, and their little boy, Drew, got a, a baseball-sized bulge right on his pelvis. Didn't know what it was. They go to the emergency room. They're live streaming while they're waiting there. They put their hands on this bulge and they begin to pray. They say, God, listen to move the mountain was last week's message. Move the mountain. God, would you move this mountain? And while they're praying, that bulge goes completely down. He starts laughing, goes in the doctor, says, I don't see anything wrong with him. Take him home. Let me tell you something I do know. If that was your bulge, you'd be clapping harder. You see, what we got to do is we have to give honor where honor is due. When God does something, you give God honor. This is not about Drew, me, influence, or you. This is about God. When, God, when, when, God, when we take God at his word and God responds and does something, we want to give honor where honor is due, giving God the glory. I'm going to get you a second trial of clapping. All right, you just heard that story. Now what are you going to do? See, if you'd act like that all the time, you'd feel so much better anyway. You look happier. I mean, some people are like, I don't got a bulge. I ain't worried about it. I'm fine. I'm healthy. You see, you know what? When God works in your life, you want to rejoice. But when God works in somebody else's life, you ought to rejoice twice as much. Right? Because you want, it, you want them to be propelled, and you want to be propelled by the power of Almighty God. Amen? Well, hey, I want to close with a declaration of wisdom, and then we're going to sing a song together. But let's stand together, declaration of wisdom. We do this periodically. Uh, I've been writing these now for some time. I've got about 25 of them written, and I'm going to put them in a book here one day. But, but let's look at this declaration of wisdom. Let's say this together. Ready? I declare that God, I declare that God has revealed to me, revealed to me the, unsearchable riches of his kingdom. the unsearchable riches of his kingdom. My weakness is the source of my dependence on God. My faith does not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In Jesus' name, I receive the truth that I might walk in His wisdom, live in His presence, and see his kingdom come, his kingdom come in, power. in power. Amen. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. God, as we prepare now to sing this song, God, that, that mercy triumphs over everything, God. There's something very powerful about this thing called mercy. It comes from the very hand of God. It was given by God. God just... We want to be people of mercy. We want to be people of faith. God, you have called us to be transformers of the society, kingdom builders, equippers of spiritual weaponry. God, as we sing, Father, I pray that every obstacle that has come up against anyone in their mind saying, but what about me, or why not me, or it's difficult, or I never win. I pray, God, that all of that will be dispelled right now in the Jesus' name. That, God, your mercy is coming in right now like a, like, a, like a wave. Just a wave that flows over and over you right now. Bringing about life and bringing about joy, bringing about power right now, God. 
As we sing this, God, we sing it unto you. Let's give him praise right now.